Well, good morning. Well, we're getting to the end of Second uh, Corinthians, and it may most of you folks know, but uh, if you don't know, we're planning to go to Romans. You know, I look back and I think this will be the f- we taught it in Sunday school, but I don't know when Romans was last taught at Holly Hills in, in the main service. Even though we talk about it all the time, but in the main service, so Mike and I are looking forward to it. So I'll start in in two weeks. But actually, there's some cool stuff still left in Second Corinthians. Paul just never stops going. He's a energizer bunny. He just keeps going. Wonderful, marvelous things to tell us. Okay, so I've labeled this uh, Paul's directive to examine yourself. So we're going to talk about that. That's toward the end of the message. But there's a, quite a bit that goes before that. Actually, there's quite a bit about the character of our Savior in this. You wouldn't think, but interspersed in that when Paul says I'm going to come to examine you folks I'm going to really lay it on the line to you guys in, in Corinth he really reveals characters of Christ in all this and it's really pretty neat okay so uh, here's my outline this is from Constable and basically today's message will be on actually the first six verses and um, you know Mike covered the, the last little part of um, of um, chapter 12 has a really cool verse that Paul really discloses what was been going on. He spent, you know, almost the entire book of Second Corinthians talking about the the issues at Corinth and what's going on in Corinth, and he imploring his those the, the faithful there to to listen to what he's saying. But it's really a cool statement in verse 19 of chapter 12. It says. All this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, in the sight of God, we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. So his desire in all this dialogue, all this uh, pen on ink, all this writing is to, is to build up the brothers in Corinth. And it may seem like he's defending himself, but his true, his true message is to, to build them up. And then next week, we're going to do the conclusion, which is exhortation, salutation, and benediction. Okay, so I'm not going to reread this um, again, but just if you observe in verse 3, verse 3 and 5 are kind of interesting things. The Corinthians, and Paul says it, he says, since you, verse 3, since you are seeking for proof of Christ who speaks in me. They wanted proof. They doubted his apostleship. He says, you're seeking a proof. That word proof is actually a word for test. So they were testing Paul. So Paul's going to come back in verse 5 and say, okay, uh, you, wanted to te- you wanted to prove me or test me. I want to test you. And in verse 5, he comes back and says, test yourself. So that's kind of the context. That 3 and 5 are kind of compliments to one another. Uh, they desired to test Paul, and Paul will come back and say, test yourselves. And it's going to be really instructive for us in the body of Christ to understand what he means by that. Okay, so let's start in verse 1. So he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. So I thought I'd just do a little history of his visits, and there's not actually a tremendous amount of history. The most history we have is in Acts, uh, Acts 18, verses 1 to 18. So I just kind of took that verse and put it in bullet form, if you will. So it starts, it says, this is the start of the church in Corinth. In Acts 18, it describes that and his missionary journey. Paul preached in the synagogues first. That was his practice. He went to the synagogues first. But as you know, and if you read Acts, 
he didn't last there long. So this is this is a cool section where he says, you know, he says, you guys, he says, he says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. He got so fed up with the with the the Jews. He said, okay, that's it. I'm going to the Gentiles. And that's a, a pretty you know interesting verse. And so he settled. He had settled there a year and six month months, and um, and then of course over time, over that year and a half, uh, the Jews rose up against him, and he had to leave. And he left. He left the brethren. There were some brethren that stayed in Corinth. He left them. Of course, the church in Corinth stayed there certainly. And then he he wound up in Ephesus, and that's where he penned Second uh, Corinthians from, and First Corinthians too. So his second visit isn't quite so clear. His second visit, you kind of get by inference because he doesn't directly say, "Here's my second visit." Blah 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 blah. He kind of says it in in phrases, and he calls it the sorrowful visit. Apparently, it was a visit that was done very quickly, and we see some of that in Second Corinthians two one, where he says, um, "He said to them, not uh, not to come to you in sorrow again." He regretted. He came to them. Uh, basically chastising them, and he and it was a sorrowful visit. Apparently, he came quickly from Ephesus to Corinth and back. And and we know also that was a second visit because he tells us in chapter 12 and in 13, this is my third visit. So there was indeed a second visit, and he alludes to it in various spots all throughout the book, and we've seen that. Okay, so now we're on our third visit. And he says, in his third visit, he makes this statement, which is a quote from the Old Testament. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And actually, every fact, or you could say, uh, and you could say accusation. So Paul actually wanted here, he wanted this to be, there had been lots of dialogue between, uh, in letters, between himself and the, and the Corinthians, and through messages that people brought to him. He wanted basically... He wanted a public presentation of the facts. So he kind of went back to the Old Testament, and he actually wanted, this is from, from Merriman, he wanted a, a judicial exam. He wanted a court, a, a court hearing. I want to hear, if we're going to talk about, this is what you think of me, I want every fact to be examined. So he kind of went back to the law and said, this is the kind of, kind of situation I want. So let's look in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy, and it basically quotes this verse, a part of this verse. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any inquiry or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, all matters shall be confirmed. So we start there, and then we're going to see that Christ is going to talk about this, and then Paul is going to talk about this. The same concept. Then Christ talked about this, and in, in this was in the context of, um, of, the, of church discipline, uh, about a, a sinning brother. So Christ is speaking here. But if he does not listen to you, the sinning brother, take one or two more with you, so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And then Paul talks about it in terms of of, um, elders. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So you've got to get two or three if you're going to talk to Mike or I. That's supposed to be a joke, but <laughs> you can talk to us. Other, you can talk to us other times, but <laughs> if you're going to really, you know, if you have something really serious, get two or three. <laughs> okay, all right. So let's see here. That's interesting. All right, good. All right, so let's go. And that, and that the, those two comments in the top are by Merriman. All righty. 
So verse 2. So Paul says here, I have previously said when present a second time, so here he alludes to the second visit, and though now I'm absent, I say in advance. So Paul's, going to, Paul's saying here, you know, he had warned them on his sorrowful visit, his second visit, and now he's going to warn approximately over the same issues. And uh, there were two groups of people or, or that he was talking to, and he mentions the last part of this verse, to those who have sinned in the past, and one we found out about in 1 Corinthians, a man who had his father's wife. But there were others apparently that had sinned as well. And he says, to all the rest as well. And those apparently could be possibly the um, what's described in uh, chapter 12, verse 20b. Uh, and they failed to submit to, to his, um, uh, his authority. And then we come down to uh, the last phrase of this verse and that's kind of the third point the first point was um, I'm returning again second point we're going to do it in a courtroom situation third point I'm not going to this is going to be I'm not going to spare anyone pretty pretty hard words if I come again I will not spare anyone okay so now so verse 3 and 2 kind of link together and so they had the word sense and it modifies that I will not spare him it modifies that, that verb, I will not spare, in verse 2. So he says, since, so what follows is going to be, he's going to give proof. They've asked him for proof, he's going to give proof of his uh, authority. He says, you Corinthians are seeking proof. Uh, seeking is the idea to endeavor, desire, to strive. And proof here, we're going to see this word quite a few times. It's dokime. There are a couple words in the Greek for... Um, for proof or test, and dokimadzo uh, is, is a verb form. And so he says, um, and it's the idea to test with a view to approval. This is something that you, you know, like if you're in an automobile factory and you test the, the engines on your car, you don't blow up the engine, to, typically to test that engine. You run it to a, a certain number of RPMs and you say, okay, it meets specs right there. We, and when Courtney tests wells, he doesn't want to blow up the well. He'll test it to a point and says, that well, that's a good well. So uh, this is a test with a view to approval. So Paul expects them to pass this test. And we're going to see it in verse 5 and 6, this dokimadzo. So he says, you see, you're seeking proof for a test of Christ who speaks in me. So they want us, is he, is Christ really speaking through Paul the apostle? That's what they want to know. And it's just kind of a review about um, Christ in you. We know from many verses in Scripture, and I'm going to quote one verse right after this, that all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's a fact well established in Scripture. And here's one of the many verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So now what's, what's cool, he's going to talk about, he's actually going to introduce characteristics of Christ. And he says, He'll describe Christ working in the Corinthians. He says, who Christ is not weak towards you. So Christ is not weak towards you. And the word weak is to lack strength. And it's, it's in relationship to you. And here's a verse that kind of speaks to that. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So he says, he's not weak towards you, but, and this is the, the Allah, a strong contrast Christ is, he's not weak towards you, but he's mighty towards you. And this is a word uh, to be powerful from the word dynamo or dynamite. 
and is in your in you and en in the Greek in your union with Christ. Here's a cool verse. I took the Weiss translation for this verse. Moreover, God is powerful to make every grace superabound to you in order that you may superabound to every good work. So God is working in every believer who's walking in fellowship with him powerfully. He wants to do that. And he's not so the idea here Paul's trying to as he's going to chastise these Corinthians, he he's going to encourage them too. He's not weak towards you, but he's mighty towards you. He's powerful towards you. So now we're going to verse 4. So Paul will now he will he will contrast Christ's life, Christ's character and the believer's character. Once again, he's I believe he's trying to encourage the Corinthians. So he starts out with, well, what's your, what's your resume? What do you have in Christ if you're a true believer? For indeed, and he expands on, on the last part of three, he, Christ, was crucified. It's a past, it's a fact, right? That's a, a factual pack, fact from Scripture. It's an event in Scripture. And he was crucified, it says, because of weakness. But if you look at the original, it's the ek. It's out of weakness, and that really, that really that speaks more to the point. So how was Christ crucified out of weakness? Well, uh, at one point, if you think about this, he had a, a fully human body, right? His fully human body showed his weakness, right? It bled. It, it hurt, got hurt. It showed the, the marks of the crucifixion, the, the scourging. So his human body showed that we, his physical weakness, but also... He had a, weak, a, a weakness that he displayed. He put up no defense. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't, you know, Paul appealed to Rome. He was a Roman. He, he appealed to Rome. To, uh, Christ didn't appeal to higher authority. He, he could have, right? He had the highest authority he could appeal to, but he didn't. And I, I love this verse in Isaiah 53, um, 4. Surely our grief he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So from, from his appearance, he appeared weak, in weakness, right? That's what he appeared, his physical demeanor and how he acted. He appeared in weakness. But we know from many scriptures that he was in control. And when it was time to leave, he said, it's finished. And he gave up his spirit. He was in control, but he appeared weakness. So I think it speaks to the verse. For indeed, he was crucified because or out of weakness. Yet, or but, another strong contrast. But he lives, present tense, continuous action. He's living. I love the song. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. We should, you know, anyway, the rest of it. I'm not a singer. <laughs> I like to listen to it, though. Okay. He's living. Wonderful. And it's because, it says, he lives, or he's living because of God's, because of the power of God. And it's, it's out from the, Ek is there, again, out from the power of God. God. Power of God is the source. So it's kind of a little summary. We all know this, the things. Christ's birth was by the power of God. We, in the miraculous birth, when the angel came to Mary and said, don't be afraid. Uh, I'm sorry, this is Joseph, excuse me. <laughs> Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. And then 23 says, you know, the thing that was foretold in the Old Testament, a virgin shall give, shall give birth. How can a virgin give birth? It's a, that's an oxymoron, right? It, it can't happen. 
And it's interesting, we're reading in the Gospel of John with Mike, with, uh, Mike and, on Wednesdays, how many times the Jews kind of come in there and they kind of, they kind of jab at Christ. Well, you're not a, you're, you know, you're not a, you're an illegitimate child. You're this, you're that. You, you know, we don't listen to you because you're illegitimate. The, you know, they couldn't handle the fact that he, you know, that's impossible. It's impossible to have a virgin birth. No, it's not. Not with God. <clears throat> so Christ's resurrection displayed his power. And then lastly, there's a verse in Hebrews. Therefore, he's able to save forever those who draw near to him uh, since he ever lives to make intercession for us. Okay, so that kind of speaks to the fact that he lives because of power. We go on. So now the, the rest of the verse is going to tell us some more. So now what we see here is, so he talked about Christ. So now he's going to talk about the believer. So we talked about all these wonderful things. Now he's going to say, well, what is a person who's put their faith and trust in Christ? What is his, what is his resume? What does he have? And we're going to find it's much the same thing. <clears throat> For we, Paul, and his team, are weak, present tense, in him, in our living union with Christ. We're weak. And Paul did that beautifully. Mike went through it beautifully in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 and verse 10. So in bullet form, Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulty for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So a similar picture. Christ was weak, and we as believers, that's when God can do the, the best in us, when we're weak. And, and then I am strong. And it goes on. Then it's going to have another contrast here again. Yet, Allah again, uh, we, we will live, future tense, this is a statement we'll explain about the, uh, we'll explain the remainder of the verse here. We live together with him. And again, we, we see God's power coming in here over and over again because of the power of God, or out from the power of God, uh, directed toward the believer. So I, this is a verse that Mike covered also, back just speaking about God's power in his life. My grace is sufficient for you for... Christ's power is perfected in weakness. I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So it's, it's, it's the opposite. You know, as Mike points out, it's, it's the inverse of what the world thinks. You serve God um, the, the proper way when you're weak. Then his power can be shown through you. Okay, so now, now we get on the part. You've all, you all been waiting for this part, right? <clears throat> Okay, now he's actually, he's, I, Merriman says he's going to encourage the Corinthians to judicially try themselves. And I said, wait a minute. Let's look at the verb tense here. It's present imperative. That's not an encourage. That's a, you guys better do this. <laughs> and it's, he's going to test yourself. So Paul says, test yourself. And it's a different Greek word for test here. This is a parazo. It's to test or prove, but... There's a possibility that you could fail. You could fail the test. So what you're all sitting on the edge of your seats, can they fail the test here? Are they going to fail? We'll see. <clears throat> in our case, and this is from Merriman, I, th- I thought it was pretty good, since Paul asked for this kind of courtroom situation, he wanted them to have a, a test you know, with two or three witnesses. Put yourself to test. Put yourself on trial. So he's looking at that kind of idea. So now we'll see... What's the issue in their testing? 
to see if you are in the faith. So uh, raise your hands. Do you, do any of you see here a real key? Is there something that's just a real key in this? Uh, it, it, raise it. Is this personal faith? Raise your hands. If this is not personal faith, raise your hands. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's a little me a little inside stuff. Anyway, it's actually the definite article is there. It's the faith. It's the body of truth. It's just so critical to this verse because I've read some people and they will they will take this to be this is personal faith and it just doesn't fit. It just does not fit. This is the body of Christian truth. So what he's asking them to do is to test themselves against the body of Christian truth. That's a whole different ball game than, than am I going to am I really saved? I don't, I don't feel saved today. I may say, no, I'll test myself. Is that what Scripture is asking us to do? And it's not. So, a good usage of this word, the faith, the body of Christian truth, is in Jude. I felt necessary to write to you, appealing to you, to contend earnestly for the faith, and then it, des- it describes that, which was once for all handed down to the saints. And if you trace through, there's about 30 occurrences in Scripture about a the faith, if you trace through that, you'll see that that uh, it describes this body of truth that Paul taught. He taught this to the Corinthians. He taught this body of truth. So that's what he's concerned about with the Corinthians, not not their personal faith. He assumed they had personal faith. He was concerned about the the body of were they following the truth. So a few more um, thoughts here about putting yourself to the test in regards to the faith. Are putting yourself on trial, as Paul liked to think of it. So Merriman says, this is, <clears throat> this, is saying, uh, this is saying you are to measure yourself against the objective truth in the Bible. So I hope you, you know, uh, we've taught that, you know, the idea of objective truth. That may sound kind of, I don't know, academic, if you will. But objective truth is just, since God, since we have God's word revealed... We have his objective truth in our hands when we open our Bibles. That's his objective truth. We may have an opinion about that objective truth, but that's, it's true without our opinion. Our opinion doesn't matter in the truth of that. It's objective truth. So, so for example, here's some critical objective truth that every, every person needs to come to understand to become a Christian. And it's the objective truth of the Bible, of, of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, and he appeared to more than 500 brethren. That's objective truth. You may say, well, I'm not sure Christ really died. He swooned. Well, that's, that's your opinion. The scriptures say he died, he died for your sins. That's objective truth. So that's, that's the question. You're, he's asked them to test themselves against the objective truth. And if you think about every book of the Bible declares objective truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? There is objective truth. Some people, they throw their hands up. No, it's something else. It's something else. It was a big bang. Or whatever they, whatever they think. And I love this verse. And, and this, this really speaks to the issue. <clears throat> and we're going to cover this in a couple of weeks in our first John, first, second, third John class. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children... Uh, are, are walking in the truth. So God desires us to know the objective truth and to walk in that. And, just, and there's a little, at the second, the next to the last bullet 
I put in here that um, the objective truth is to be known and believed and to be walked in. And that kind of seems to be the pattern. We're to know it. We're to read it and know it. Then we're to believe it, right? And then we're to walk in it or you say appropriate it, make it our own. It becomes real in our life. There's kind of a process. We know, we believe, and we walk in it. And Scripture talks many places about walking in the truth or walking in fellowship. And Paul taught this objective truth to the the Corinthians while he was there. So let's go on. So now, it wasn't good enough to say, to test yourself. He now comes back and says, he says, you examine yourselves. And he uses a different Greek word. He comes back to dokimadzo. So first he used parazo. There was a possibility of failure with that one. And this one he comes back and says, no, I want you to examine yourself. And this word is the one we saw earlier uh, that kind of lined up with prove yourself with a view to approval. And it's, once again, it's an imperative. So Paul, I think Paul used this dokimadzo to... Uh, that he expected they will pass the test. That's what he expected. And even in, in the, the other uh, Greek word, he expected them to pass as well. And actually, that's the word they use, uh, was used back in verse 3 for they seeking proof of him. So here's kind of the, the, uh, the, the tension here. They asked Paul, the Corinthians asked Paul to test himself or prove himself. Paul comes back and says, he asked them the same question in a different little way. Test yourselves so the, the point is, both, both parties in this discussion want to be walking with the Lord in right relationship to the Savior. That's what Paul's saying. Before we can have a discussion about what's happening, we need to be in a right relationship with the Savior. And then he goes on. Do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? So I think, again, he's trying to point out this is, this is what the normal Christian life is about. Jesus Christ is in you. And it's, it's this idea to have full knowledge, epigonosco, full knowledge. And I actually, this is a repeat of what I did before. Every true believer has Christ uh, dwells in them. And we, Galatians 2.20 again. But then I added one more verse that I really like. Uh, Colossians 1.27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's a mystery that, that boggles our mind today and it, it boggles it minds for all time how, how God can live inside a human being. How can that, how can that be? I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, you know, it, it's, incre- it's amazing, incredible. But that's, what, that's the objective facts of Scripture. So Paul was concerned. He was concerned about their Christian walk, their fellowship. That's the testing that was going on here. And then he does leave open, unless indeed you fail the test. It's the idea of being unapproved, not standing, not standing the test. If you notice carefully, it's just an A in front of Dokimos. It's negated. It's kind of a a knit, (laughs) a Greek knit. (laughs) So Paul allowed that some Corinthians may fail the test. So they're not failing because they're not believers. They're failing because they're not walking with the Lord. That seems to be the case. So um, <clears throat> Brown here, uh, co- uh, Constable quoted a gentleman named Brown. He says, the logic of Paul's argument is compelling. If the Corinthians want to prove of whether Paul's ministry was from Christ, they must look at themselves, not him, Paul. 
They were always kind of banging away on Paul all the time. They should be looking to themselves. Are we walking with the Lord? Am I, am I interpreting what Paul is saying right? Am I interpreting what these other false apostles, super apostles are called, are saying? Okay. In verse 6. But I trust that you will realize that we, I believe it's Paul and his team again, ourselves do not fail the test. So again, it's this word for being unapproved. And again, it's the uh, not standing at the test. So Paul tells Corinthians that we, um, that we, Paul and his team, are passing the test, which is walking in the truth in fellowship with Christ. So that seems that to me that really kind of sealed the deal. They're to walk in Christ, and and he wants himself and his other fellow workers to be walking in Christ. And I and this verse kind of speaks to that in First John one three. What we have seen, what we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Pretty pretty neat stuff. Okay. Well, I usually have final thoughts, and I'm not going to disappoint you. Final thoughts. And this one actually is, there might be some homework in this one. Because you might, you know, you might have, a, you might object to what I'm going to present here. I, I came across this one. Constable has, Constable likes to quote other people, and he quotes a lot of people. He quoted this gentleman, I never heard of the gentleman before, D- Dillo. So here's Dillo's kind of take on the, on the last couple of verses here. Okay. He says, nowhere in the Bible is a Christian asked to examine his personal faith or his life to find out if he's a Christian. You say, well, I don't know about that. Sounds kind of radical to me. Okay, let's keep going here. He is told only to look outside himself to Christ alone. This is my, my uh, editorial thing. Objective looks outside to Christ. What's the objective truth for his assurance? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a verse here about that in a second. Then lastly, the Christian is however told to examine his faith and life so to see if he's walking in fellowship and in conformity, I would say, to God's word. So that's, the focus of our life as believers is to walk, to walk in the light as he is in the light, walk in fellowship with him. We're not to be constantly going back and re-examining ourselves. And that scripture doesn't really talk about that. It talks about um, assurance of faith. And along that line, there's a verse that uh, we just covered recently in the Gospel of John. And let me just read it to you. And it says, this is, uh, uh, and that, this is in the Wednesday, Wednesday study. It's a favorite of, of a lot of folks here. Uh, John, um, John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Isn't that incredible? We can't be snatched out of the, out of the Son's hand or the Father's hand. We're, we're totally secure in Him. And that's, that's, our, that's our security. So if you have some objections, let me know. So what, what do you think about that first statement? Send me an email or talk to me in person. All right, so let's close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for our time and your word. We thank you for the blessings we have and just the, the truth of, of we're to walk in, in, walk in the light 
as you're in the light, we're to walk in fellowship with him. And that's, that's our focus in our Christian life, that we're, are we walking in the light and in fellowship with you? In Christ's name, amen.